right, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. And in this text of Scripture, we have an account of a healing uh, following the Mount of Transfiguration where a young boy is healed. And it is a lengthy section of Scripture. And as I studied this, I believe that I've come to a position on the uh, on a theme of the book of Mark and that we see it here in this text. And I'm excited to share it with you this morning because when we started the book of Mark, if you remember, I talked about how each of the Gospels have their own particular theme to them. Uh, the angle that they emphasize of the ministry of Jesus. And they all made sense to me. But the one usually stated for the book of Mark never made sense. To me, it just seemed to be something that they searched for and they had to, we got to come up with something for Mark too, so let's, let's say this. And they just kind of throw something out. And it never fit. And that as we went through, that I hope maybe that we could discover a more appropriate theme that might uh, be obvious to us. And I believe I found something that could be a real, real possibility. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And it comes out of the healing accounts of Mark. And if you'll notice here, a characteristic of Mark is he gives much more details about the healings of individuals than any other book. It's kind of an odd situation, whereas Mark is the shortest gospel lengthwise and usually when he gives an account of something it's usually short and sweet shorter than any other gospel except for one situation and this is what i think is a big clue to this is when he is reporting on the healing of someone particularly a younger person mark gives more information than any of the other writers he gives more details. And you'll notice that here. I mean, you look at this, starts at verse 14, it goes through verse 29. 15 verses. You look up this same account in other, the other Gospels, and they're all about six or seven verses long. Mark gives much more emphasis here. To me, that's, that's a, a big thing that we look at, that this is something Mark is emphasizing. He's going to more effort here when he talks about details of healings of people and particularly younger people. And of course, Mark it was a young, younger man and that may come out in his perspective. But I notice a detail here in this healing, some wording that I believe could be a legitimate theme for the book of Mark and it emphasizes an important part of the ministry of Jesus. So let's read the text and then we'll start looking at that. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. 
And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and, when he, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And so you notice all the details. He goes into great detail about the situation. Again, as Matthew does not, Luke does not, they just quickly summarize it. But he goes into the detail of all that the demon would make the young man do. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening? All of those details occur nowhere else in all the other Gospels, only in Mark. And then he comes down to verse 22. Last phrase, and he says, the father saying, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And that wording is unique to Mark. Have compassion on us and help us. Heal my son, have compassion on my son and heal my son is this plea from the father. And that was wording only occurs in the book of Mark. And that, that wording just jumped out at me as I studied it. And it piqued my interest and I began to look back at other healings. And do we find this wording also of compassion, of Jesus healing out of compassion and emphasizing that aspect of Jesus' ministry? And I look back in Mark chapter 1, look at it with me, Mark chapter 1 verse 40, and I found this. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And here's that word again. Jesus was moved with compassion. Where'd that word come from? That's Mark's commentary. He said Jesus was motivated by compassion to heal these people and to heal this leper. And he reached out and touched him. Now, this occurs at the very opening of the book of Mark, chapter 1. That's significant. In all the other Gospels, the theme that they try to emphasize, they bring it up pretty early in the book. Most, some in the first chapter or in the first few chapters, they come out with this theme because that's their focus. And so that makes sense. And then they want to, you know, they emphasize it early to kind of set the tone for the book. And I think we have that happening here with the book of Mark. And I looked at the other Gospels, Matthew and, and Matthew does for sure. I don't remember if Luke records the healing of this leper uh, early on in Jesus' ministry, but when they 
when it occurs, it doesn't occur at the first chapter, but when they do mention it, it's just a quick reference and they do not mention about compassion. They don't emphasize Jesus was moved with compassion to heal this man. Only Mark does that and he does it here at the first chapter. And then he, he, gives, he brings in this wording in other healings and particularly this with the little boy here where the father says, have compassion on us and heal my son. So here's my proposal of the emphasis, a theme of Mark is that Mark is emphasizing Jesus as the compassionate healer. And this is an important part of the ministry of Jesus. All the other Gospels record the healings of Jesus. They all record about the same number. There's a variation. And there are, there are actually more miracles listed in the other books. And I would credit that to the other books are longer. But... When it comes to the, the amount of information on the healings, Mark gives more information on the healings than any of the other writers. And when he does mention them, in these two examples, he emphasizes the compassion of Jesus to heal these people of their infirmities. That's a major aspect of the ministry of Jesus. His healing ministry and I think, and my proposal is that this is the thing that Mark is emphasizing in Jesus' ministry, is Jesus as the compassionate healer, the compassionate one over young children, compassion of those who are burdened down with their sickness. And Jesus, in His compassion, reaches out and touches them and heals them. So with Matthew, we have him emphasizing Jesus as the King of Israel. And you have that throughout the book. And you have him having Jesus teach as the King to his nation. And then in Luke, you have the theme that Jesus is the Savior of all the lost. And in Luke, you have him mention conversions of people that none of the other writers mention, such as Zacchaeus the thief on the cross. Those only are recorded by Luke. And he has the parables of the lost coin and the lost son and that, that so forth. That only occurs in Luke. And so you see that thing come out with Luke of Jesus being the Savior of all people. John presents Jesus as the Son of God. And you see that right off the bat, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and John's just powerful theme of Jesus as the Word, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, and He presents that powerfully through His book. And whereas all of them have miracles of Jesus, and all of them present healings of Jesus, none of them that I've just mentioned, Matthew, Luke, and John, none of them emphasize the healing ministry of Jesus. And so it really fits a missing element here Whereas I say, again, they all cover it, but Mark here emphasizes it much more in detail and in this aspect of the compassion of Jesus. And I believe that is much more fitting of what we see come out of the book of Mark's kind of angle at this with Jesus, that he is emphasizing the compassionate healing ministry of Jesus. And that 
makes sense for our text before us today of, of why this is so lengthy of a section from Mark. Of why he goes into so de- much detail. Because he's emphasizing the compassion of Jesus as the healer of people's infirmity. It seemed Mark just had you know, sympathy for people, maybe because of his own situation. We don't know all of his detail, but maybe, maybe he had a family member that was healed by Jesus. Maybe he himself was healed by Jesus. Whatever, Mark has a clear focus and soft spot, so to speak, for the healing ministry of Jesus and particularly with children. And I'll throw that in also in the text where children are brought to Jesus for Him to take them up in His arms and to pray over them. Mark includes more details in that text than any of the other writers also. There is a clear emphasis on children and youth with Mark and on the passionate healing ministry of Jesus. So with that in mind, let's then... Look at this first point is that when Jesus comes down from the mountain, having that great experience, he sees a great multitude around the disciples and there are Jewish scribes there. But there's a father there with a son and he has asked his disciples to heal them and they can't. And so he speaks up to Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus asks him, says, what are you discussing with them? And the father speaks up because he's the one that's really urgent about what's going on. He says, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and it does all these things to him, all these terrible things. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And so he comes and he's appealing to Jesus, saying, Jesus, will you heal my son? And this happened to Jesus over and over and over, as we've been noticing. It happened so frequently that it actually became somewhat of a problem in Jesus' schedule where people were always pressing upon Him to get a healing, and He had to try to manage His time to do other things that He needed to do. And He had to get His disciples alone so that He could give them the time that they needed preparing them for the cross. And it just brings up the situation of humanity that we are under the curse of sin and there are so many needs and there is such a a multitude of of needs on the earth and that were there in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus spent much time having compassion on people and seeking to help them in their need. And He had the ability to heal and He did that. And this was a wonderful part of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew, in one of the healings, referenced how this was a fulfillment of Jesus' work prophesied in Isaiah 53, where it says, He has taken our infirmities on Himself and bore our sicknesses. Now, that's given in that great chapter in context of His sacrifice on the cross but it mentions first he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows or that word involves the idea of sicknesses then it goes on he was wounded for our transgressions and here's the truth that, that that matthew brings out there 
that it says he healed all kinds of sick to fulfill Isaiah 53, that he has borne our sicknesses and our infirmities. And because the, the physical sickness was just a result of the spiritual sickness we have and the curse of sin. And so Jesus healed uh, physically to show people that he could heal them spiritually and forgive their sins. And we saw that earlier on in the book of Mark where he said, so that you may know I have power on earth to forgive sins, I say to the lame man, take up your bed and walk. And so his physical healing had a great purpose, not only healing those people in the moment, but for communicating the great truth uh, that Jesus had the power to save us. And ultimately he would do that when he went to the cross. And that, what he did on the cross would accomplish the ultimate healing and guarantee for us a future free of any sicknesses. He healed temporarily in time to people to show that in the future there was coming a time in His kingdom when people would be totally free of sickness from then on. And that's the importance of the healing ministry of Jesus and the emphasis of Mark here on the compassion of Jesus to heal people. It speaks to us of the wonderful Savior that we have, who's the King of Israel. Yes, He's the the eternal Son of God. Yes, He's the Savior of everybody on the earth, but also He's the compassionate healer who can reach in and touch you and me and heal us, heal us of what we need. And I think that's a wonderful contribution of Mark's gospel. Jesus has compassion on us. And that's important to know and to remember when you need help, when you're struggling, when you're burdened down, when you're sick. What is it that, I mean, what can even just lift your spirits when you're sick and you're, you're, you know, you just don't feel good? If somebody just comes and just expresses concern for you, says, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help you? If someone comes and just has compassion on you, that is very meaningful to you. And this is what Jesus did. When He left heaven, came down to here to be born on the earth, He was doing it to have compassion on us, to enter into our infirmities and heal us, And he did that temporarily to some people who then got sick again and died. The point wasn't they were going to live forever at that point, but in their salvation, they would live forever and be healed eternally one day. And that's true of all of us. You can say, well, I've never been healed of Jesus. I wasn't there. I wouldn't need. They did, you know. But yes, the ultimate truth is true for all of us. If you're saved, you're going to be healed by Jesus one day forever. And never get sick again. Amen. That's something great that we have to look forward to. He's going to wipe away every tear. And there's going to be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. And it'll be because of what he did on the cross. And when he died on the cross. Now, here's the thing we need to we can apply this on Isaiah 53. When Jesus died on the cross, he all of our sins were laid upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. All of our sin was laid upon Him. All of our iniquity. And a part of that then was the result of our sin, which is our sickness. 
Jesus was paying for all of that and taking care of all of that on the cross. And then when he rose from the dead that we're going to celebrate next week, he was triumphing over that. He, was, he accomplished victory over death, over sickness, over all of it, over all the curse of sin. And that victory is then given to us in our salvation. And so the compassionate healer that Jesus is, is a part, one aspect of his salvation to us is that he's going to give us freedom from sickness one day in his kingdom. And we'll never die again, never get sick or die again. Death will be destroyed. Death will be defeated. All of this is powerfully pictured in the healings of Jesus. Now, look at the detail. It was another demon possession and it was a very aggressive situation where this demon would, would throw this young man down and, and would do this since childhood and uh, sometimes would uh, throw him into the fire and into water to try to drown him. Can you imagine the uh, stress and the, the difficulty that this father and his family was dealing with, with this child? And he comes to Jesus, and now we come to those words again, verse 22. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And he had come to the right place because Jesus was the compassionate healer. And he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And so we see here from the Bible that in some people's situation, there can be a demonic aspect to their situation, even a physical in their physical aspects. There can be demonic spiritual sources to their situation. In other places, the Bible is clear, it was just physical illness and Jesus healed that. But whether it was that or a spiritual situation, Jesus had power over all of it. Jesus said, all things are possible. I can do anything that needs to be done, whether it's demons or disease, even death. I can do it because that's who I am. I am God in the flesh who has come to heal you in your infirmities. And so we have Jesus as the compassionate healer. Now, we have a second aspect of this. Jesus is willing to heal. Here's this Father. He represents then us as humanity, the ones who are hearing this and responding to Jesus. And Jesus says something repeatedly in His comments. He says, I'm the compassionate healer. What I'm looking for in you is, are you a willing believer? He said to the Father in verse 23, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the Father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Look back at verse uh, 19. When he heard about the disciples not being able to cast out the demon, he said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. He rebuked and he mourned over their faithlessness, their lack of faith, their lack of belief. So three times Jesus comments on belief and he, that's what he's looking for in us. As he's come to our world, he has come as the son of God and he comes to us and says, will you believe in me? Are you willing to receive my work? Are you a willing believer? Because He's ready and able to do whatever 
And he's come to do all that we need. And though he says, your part is, you must be willing to believe in me and receive my work. For he then indicates that if they were not willing to believe, they would have nothing. And, and apparently that's what the situation with the disciples was, is that they weren't where they needed to be in their faith. And their faithlessness prohibited them from having something from God. Their lack of faith blocked God's work in their life. And so we have God's part, which is there's no problem with that. He's willing, He's ready. The problem is on our end. Are we willing to believe and to receive all that God is and has for us? If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Notice it doesn't take much faith. It just takes willing faith. The, the father confessed that. He said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. He says, Lord, my faith is not very big. I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't cast it out. I'm really questioning this. I don't understand. I'm really confused here. But he says, I believe, Lord. He said, I just got a little faith. He said, help my unbelief. I've got a lot of unbelief. And maybe he was expressing, I don't maybe feel a lot of faith. But Lord, I believe in what you're saying. And that's all that was required. It only takes a little faith. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples when they marveled at the fig tree that was withered at His word, and they said, wow, look at that. And Jesus said, if you just have faith as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain be removed. It can be cast in the sea. Jesus said just a small amount of faith. Faith as a mustard seed. A mustard seed is one of the tiniest seeds that there is. Jesus said, if you'll just have a small amount of faith, that's all it takes. Because see, the key is really not the amount of our faith, and it's really not our faith that makes the things happen. The faith just opens up and accepts God to do something. And it doesn't take much. It just takes a willing heart, a willing believer, even at the level of this father, to say, Lord, I feel like I've got unbelief, but I believe as much as I can. And it was enough to receive this healing. It doesn't take much. Faith is a mustard seed. The key is that Jesus has all the power. It just is, he's just waiting for a willing believer. The Apostle Paul actually described it as a simple thing. He said, the word is near you in your heart and in your mouth. You don't have to do some great exploit to ascend up into heaven to bring Christ down. You don't have to send down into the depths of hell and try to bring Christ up. You don't have to do some great big thing. You just have to do what's really near you. It's really simple. He says the word of faith, which we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul is saying it's really pretty easy on our part. It's pretty simple. It's something near you. It's right in your mouth and it's your, in your heart. But you just have to be Willing to believe. The father was willing and Jesus healed his son. It says in verse 25, when Jesus saw the people running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. 
Then Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. See, the key is the power of Jesus. And we just have to open our heart to it, and Jesus can do what all needs to be done. And we open our heart to Him. We open our heart to Him in just a beginning way, even in a small way, of repentance and faith. It unleashes the power of God in our life to say, I forgive you of all your sins. I give you the gift of eternal life. And you have the promise of always living forever with God. And it is done. It is accomplished. Just as Jesus commanded that spirit to leave and told him never come in him anymore. And he left. And, and uh, from the wording of Jesus, that spirit could never enter into that child again. It happened just as Jesus said in the same way with salvation. This is a picture of our salvation. If we just open our heart to Him in willing faith, repentance and faith, Jesus removes our sin completely and gives us eternal life completely. And we will never lose it ever again. He's looking for a willing heart to allow His power to come in. And this is a wonderful picture of our salvation. One other aspect that we want to note with this, when the disciples came to him and said, well, why could we not cast this out? And he said to him, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And I'll just throw out a note here of what we talked about earlier. The Alexandrian text does not include the word and fasting. And so that won't appear in some translations. But here's the evidence of that is that it's either Mark or Luke that records this same statement and they include both of them and the Alexandrian text and those gospels include both words. So we know Jesus said that. There's no debate. But in the majority text includes both of these. This kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now fasting is a deep uh, level of prayer, an earnest prayer over something very urgent and difficult. And Jesus indicates, I think, a very important truth here is in dealing with this, apparently indicates this kind of demon possession was very powerful. And there are levels of spiritual demonic power that Jesus indicates there are levels of spiritual powers of His kingdom that are required to deal with those powers of darkness. And it couldn't be something just casual. Uh, the context of this section is that Jesus and Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain praying, having a spiritual time of spiritual power. But the other disciples out at the foot of the mountain weren't. They weren't praying. They weren't doing anything spiritual. They were wasting their time. And then they got confronted with this spiritual difficulty of a demon-possessed boy, and they couldn't do anything about it because they had, spent, they had not been investing time spiritually in prayer and even fasting. They weren't spiritually prepared for it. They were in their flesh, not in their spirit. And I think that's, a, that's an important truth for us, that there are things that we may deal with, dealing with the spiritual powers in the world demons and, and the devil's work in the world that are very powerful. They're very powerful. And if we think we can just waltz in as Christians and say, hey, I'm going to deal with you, we got another thing coming. That we don't need to think, hey, I can handle everything myself. I, I know the Bible. I, I know Christ. I can deal with this. 
We need to realize it's not of us. The powers of the Holy Spirit and Christ in us and that Jesus indicated to deal with this situation successfully, they needed to have spent time in prayer and fasting to spiritually be prepared and to be equipped in their own self to be able to effectively deal with this spiritual power of darkness. And I think that's very important for us to note that Jesus said, abide in me in John 15. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. And if you abide in me, my words abide in you. He said, you'll ask what you will and it'll be done for you. So he referred to time in the word of God, his words, and then prayer. Spending time with him is how we are filled with his power. And we need that, especially if you're going to deal with a spiritual battle. You know you're about to face a spiritual battle. You need to prepare yourself spiritually in times of prayer and in the Word of God. Because in your flesh, you will not have the ability to deal with that. Times of prayer energize us spiritually. It's, prayer is a spiritual exercise. It builds us up spiritually. Uh, I believe it's the book of Jude that says, building yourself up spiritually through prayer. And that's what prayer does for us. It, it, the Holy Spirit uh, works in us as we pray. It is a spiritual exercise. And Jesus was ready to deal with this because He had spent time in prayer there on the mountain and being energized through the Holy Spirit, which in His physical body, in His incarnation, He utilized the same thing we do. That was a part of His walk here on the earth as He worked through the Holy Spirit, even though He was God. And we must have that equipping also through times of prayer and the Word of God when we deal with forces of darkness in the world and there's a lot of forces of darkness out there. They are rising up. You know, these things kind of cycle. And when the kind of the floodgates are open, it just unleashes all kinds of things from, from the evil realm. And that's what we have happening in our country. And one uh, example of that is what we talked about with Disney, uh, where things have totally changed with Disney. Even though in the past there were some aspects of magic and stuff that weren't good that they advocated, but by and large it was wholesome stuff, but that has all changed. And now it's very clear demons are at work through Disney trying to corrupt young children with sexual immorality. That's from demons. That's what demons do. That's what the Bible calls, they call them, it calls them unclean spirits, meaning morally unclean pushing all kinds of filth and immorality. That's what demons do in the world. And what we are seeing in our world and in the United States of America is the floodgates being opened of demons and immorality. And we need to take heed to this. This is what's being unleashed in our country and we will deal with it. We are being faced with it. And Jesus said, this kind, you can't deal with this kind except by prayer and fasting. And I think that's a, a good, uh, good instruction for us. That we need to be on our knees praying as we deal with this stuff day in and day out. It's from the powers of darkness trying to corrupt people, destroy people, destroy marriages. We need to protect our minds. You young men, you need, and men, all of us, we need to protect our minds from what we see. The things that are on the internet, on our phone, and they push that stuff up there constantly. And we've got to 
protect our minds. It's a spiritual battle. And we've got to fight this battle. There's stuff everywhere trying to be pushed upon us. And we've got to fight that battle effectively. And you won't if you are walking in your own power, in your own flesh. It'll only be through times of prayer and fasting and Word of God where you'll be strengthened spiritually in your mind. The truth to say, I need to walk according to the Word of God. I need to turn away from evil. Only with that strength of mindset will you be able to make the right choices when you're confronted with these things. And Jesus' words will be fulfilled. That's the only way we can successfully deal with aggressive powers of darkness is through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And that will only come through times of prayer, the Word of God, and even fasting. And that could be something that you may need to consider in very urgent situations of foregoing eating as a way of disciplining your body to say, I need to focus on spiritual, this spiritual matter, and I'm going to give increased time to praying about this. That's what fasting is. And it does energize a spiritual power in a person that does that. And that could be something to consider with various situations that you may face. That's what we see Jesus speaking about here. Well, I think this is a wonderful truth. Jesus is the compassionate healer. It was a major part of His ministry. And I think Mark emphasizes it here. And it's a wonderful for us to, thing for us to think about with Jesus and all that He is. He is our compassionate healer who will help us when we cry out to Him in a willing, believing heart. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done for us, all that you are. Thank you for being the compassionate healer to bring about the aspect of salvation into the earth when you walked on it. And when you heal people and you showed that you had come, you'd come to save us and to deliver us from the curse of sin. And we thank you for that day that's coming where you're going to defeat death and you're going to remove it forever and you're going to bring in the eternal day and we're going to have life forever. And you're going to restore us to eternal life. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your salvation and your death on the cross and your resurrection. Guide us as we have a yearly focus on it at this time of the year. And... Uh, Help us to speak to others about it and to witness to others that need to hear this this week as their thoughts are turned to this, this holiday. And that we'd speak the truth about it, of the true meaning of it, and the greatness of you, Lord Jesus, and your work to heal us and to save us. We thank you for that. Through your name we pray. Amen. Amen.